Hey guys, welcome to the Antioch Dallas Sermon Podcast. We are so glad you're listening today. The message from this week was on We Are Better Together. Zach is continuing our series called Saturate, where we are learning what it looks like to become authentic disciples of Jesus. We're so thankful for you guys and hope you enjoy the message. From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus' work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built. Race relations are more healthy. Works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated. Schools are strengthened. Healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 133. Behold, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Today's New Testament reading is from Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Today's gospel reading is from John 17. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, I want to welcome you again today. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors around here. And as the video said, we're in a time of renewal as a church where we're taking time 
to look at the core values, beliefs, passions, practices of an authentic disciple of Jesus, of an authentic community of disciples, an authentic church of of Jesus Christ. And we've seen so far, uh, value number one is that Jesus is our treasure. That what we're saying when we're saying we're disciples, that we're followers of Jesus, we're saying that he's not a means to some other end. He's not kind of like a heavenly slot machine that gets us something else that we really want, but that he in and of himself is treasure. That he is the bread of life that satisfies. He's the water that satiates our souls. That in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. As a community, as an individuals, we're committed to walking in that vision. That's what it means to be a disciple. Number two, we saw last week that his gospel, Jesus' gospel, uh, heals And that Jesus has a very deep and wide ministry of healing, touching our physical bodies, touching our souls, even touching our world. And that we as his followers have been given this call, this invitation, this ministry to be agents of healing and that we want to pursue that together. Today, our third value, our third core value of an authentic disciple is that we're better together. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you came because someone invited you and you're just kind of checking things out, man, this is a great kind of entry in. You could window shop a little bit or browser shop a little bit. You could see what would it be like to trust Jesus and to follow him. If you're here today and you say, well, if I got pinned into a corner, I would say I'm a Christian. I just am not into that whole organized religion type deal. I hear where you're coming from. Today would be a great window in for you to say, well, maybe there might be more to this than I thought. Maybe there's more to following Jesus and practicing my faith than I've known. Uh, And you'll see that. Number three, you might be a disciple here. We're saying, I want to follow Jesus. This is going to be a great renewal, reminder, uh, maybe open some fresh eyes on the power of community and the way in which community discipleship community is used in our formation as followers of Jesus. As we get started, I want to tell you a story uh, about a man. You'll see his picture here on the um, on the, the side. You can see that it is, uh, you might know Mother Teresa, right? She's the short lady right there, a little bit famous. You probably don't know uh, the person alongside of him. His name is Jean Vanier. And uh, he, I want to tell you his story. He's a Frenchman, and he began early in his career in the military. He was a naval officer. He was a leader, kind of had a a career and a position. Uh, Along the way, somewhere in there, he experiences some renewal in his spiritual life. He's a Christian, and he begins to just wrestle with, like we're doing here, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And he experienced a sense of calling a career change out of the military, out of the Navy, and into academia. He got a Ph.D., in philosophy, and he began to be a university professor. As he taught, he had an experience where he went and visited an institute for people with mental disabilities in France. And when he went, he was struck by the conditions in the institute. He was struck by the, the darkness he was struck by the coldness. He was struck by the rejection that he, he knew that these people must feel from the outside 
world, and he felt like it was inhumane. It, it stuck with him beyond just the visit. It began to eat at him, began to gnaw at him. Something was going on inside of him. And his mentors, his, his, his kind of spiritual directors, his overseers, began to ask him, hey, maybe Jesus is calling you again to do something about this. Maybe he's calling you to these people, and that's why you are so uh, enamored and drawn and just can't seem to get away from thinking about this. So as Vanier wrestled uh, and searched out and prayed, he really sensed that God was calling him to do something about this, that God was calling him to the mentally disabled of his nation. So he raised some money and bought a house and said, I'm going to invite uh, mentally disabled people into a new family of sorts into a community. I'm going to live with them. And together we're going to form a discipleship community where we will center around practices of prayer and other Christian practices and we'll be a community together. And so he started out with two men and they began to practice this way and they found a great deal of transformation and benefit to all of them. He continued with this for several years and kind of word got out of this new and revolutionary uh, way of caring for and men, uh, ministering to the mentally disabled. So he was invited to come and speak in some different places to talk about what God had been doing in their midst. And as he would go and he would share the story of this little community they called the Ark from Noah's Ark, this place that people could come to receive refuge from life storms. Uh, he began to share this vision and it seemed like the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, was awakening a call, a conviction in others as he traveled that they too were to start a version of the ark to care for and build community for the mentally disabled, not just in France, but around the world. And so these little communities began to spread. They became uh, so, uh, uh, there's so many of them that Vanier was invited to speak at the University of Harvard on the topic of Christian spirituality and to tell the story of these communities. What he said in those lectures was very revealing about the power of community, the power of discipleship community to shape us as followers of Jesus. And it was quite surprising what he said one of his key takeaways was. I want to read you a quote that he shared. He said, I discovered in these communities, in being a part of the ark, I discovered something which I had never confronted before. That there were immense forces of darkness and hatred within my own heart. And that it was only in engaging in community, even with what many would say some very unlikely sources, that God began to reveal Vanier's pride, his anger, his selfishness, his fear began to reveal what was really in his heart, not just for the sake of exposing it, but for the sake of transforming Vanier. I find that's a powerful story to begin our discussion on being better together and the power of community and discipleship community in our own transformation 
as disciples. We see as we read through the Bible that God, from Old Testament to New, is passionate. In the midst of a dying uh, a world that's gone astray, God is passionate about bringing people together and in bringing them together, making them into the type of people that flourish and through their flourishing uh, lead to the flourishing of the world. We saw this earlier in the fall in marriage and family. We're going to see it today in the church. And as we look at this topic, I want to walk you through kind of three lenses through which we're going to study this. Number one, we're going to look at the roots of this type of discipleship community. We're going to look at the rhythms and how they form a disciple, and we're going to look at the relationships that form in these communities that aid in our personal transformation as authentic disciples of Jesus and lead to the transformation and healing of the world around us. I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it up. If you have a journal, pull that out, because I believe that God has something for you today. God wants to speak something to you today. If you don't have a Bible or journal, we've got them in the back corners. They're free. You can take them with you. But let's open our hearts to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we look at God's Word, because God is going to minister to us, speak to us, teach us, and train us. So let's look in Mark chapter 3. That's where we're going to begin today. And we see the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, as we read this, Mark 3, 13, what I want you to notice and I want you to think about is the way in which Jesus begins his ministry. Here we have God with skin on. Come to seek and to save and to transform the world. And we're going to see where he begins. Now, if you or I were, were kind of come with a mission to save the planet, to transform the world. I don't know. I was thinking about where would I start this week. And I thought, well, uh, if it were today, I would do some miraculous miracle, some just jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring miracle. I'd make sure one of you put it on YouTube, right? And then we would try and make this thing go viral. And surely, uh, you know, if God was skin on us here, he could control how those algorithms work and make that video go around the world. And then as people watch it, I, you know, I would say, hey, all right, I'm here, you know, thank you for your efforts, and I'll, I'll take it from here, guys. You can just follow me. That's probably what I would do. Or maybe I would pull together kind of the leaders of the world, the, the, the government leaders, the, the rulers, the presidents, the, the monarchs, whatever, pull them together and say, again, thank you for your service. God was skin on right here. Just follow me, and I'll lead us out of this mess, right? That might be what I do. Some of you, you might say, well, I would kind of do it like Batman. I would come into some, you know, big disaster, and I would save the day, and they'd flash my little symbol in the sky. And that's how I would kind of start my ministry. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't do any of that, right? As he begins his public ministry, he, he, he begins by calling disciples, he begins by building community. And I want to show you that in the word. Mark 3, 13, speaking about Jesus, said he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out Demons. So here we're seeing the root 
of the power of transformation and community for disciples. You see, Jesus is initiating with men and women. We read through the scripture, his variety or his disciples are a wide variety of people, but he's initiating with them out of desire that he longs to be with them. And then he invites them into, calls them into being disciples. What is a disciple? Well, in the English language, probably the best equivalent we have might be an apprentice, right? If you think back in history, you know, you used to apprentice to, to, be, uh, to learn a craft or a trade. You used to apprentice to kind of be an expert physician or nurse. You used to apprentice to kind of be a businessman. You're an apprentice. You're saying, I want to be with you, right? I want to be transformed to be like you, and I want to go where you go, where you go and do what you're doing. That's what a disciple is. And so Jesus is inviting men and women into this community of discipleship, that they would be with him. That they would have a deep relationship with him. We saw that was the first value. Jesus is our treasure. That they would be sent out by him to do the work that he was doing to be a part of the healing of the world, right? And we see that here. But the contours and the context of this group of being a disciple was not going to be primarily an individual, but it was primarily going to be a group project. Meaning it wasn't, hey, Peter, I'm going to meet with you on Monday from 6.30 to 7.30, and John, you're going to be my Tuesday lunch. And James, we're going to be Friday afternoon, and I'll just kind of check in with you, and then you'll go about your merry way, and I'll go about my merry way. No, it was an invitation in to community, to life together, and through sharing life together, that these disciples were going to be transformed. And as they were transformed, as they were brought into flourishing, that they were going to be a part of bringing flourishing to the entire world. The way that Ephesians describes this new community that Jesus is forming, this discipleship community, is they said that his purpose in this was to create in himself one new humanity. That in a dead and dying world gone way astray, Jesus is beginning his ministry by bringing people together to make them into a new humanity, that through them, he would bring flourishing to the world. The word for church in the New Testament is ecclesia. And the idea behind this word, it's actually borrowed from Greek political culture. It was in Athens. If you were a citizen, you were invited into the ecclesia. You were brought together, all the citizens, to vote on, to decide about government leaders, to decide about initiatives for the nation, to really set the tone and the culture for the entire uh, country of Greece, the entire republic. That's what you were invited into. Jesus uses this word to describe the disciples, what he's doing, this community of discipleship. That's what he calls them, the ecclesia, the people called out, brought together, that were from being in that community, were going to be a part of transforming the world. That's what we're invited into today when we say the English word church. Those are the roots. Now let's talk about the rhythms. Do you know that when you join a community, that we as people by nature are shaped by the practices, the rhythms, the rituals, the points of celebration within the communities that we're a part of? 
right? We've seen this in our nation over the recent weeks with the debates and the protests and, and the frustration and the anger around people protesting the flag or not protesting the flag. We've seen it around Civil War statues. And you realize that it's not an argument uh, about fabric in a flag, It's not an argument about uh, objects made out of granite or stone or some other type of material. It's an argument about the rhythms, the rituals, and the celebration points that those two things represent. And the reason that so many people feel the need to protest and the reason that so many people feel so threatened by those protests has very little to do with the protest itself, but has larger to do with the way that that challenges common rhythms, common rituals, common things that we celebrate or think that we celebrate as a nation. That's why it feels either threatening or something that must be protested because it has power behind it. Communities are shaped by the rhythms, the rituals, and the things that they celebrate. We see as Jesus invites disciples into community that these discipleship communities have rhythms, have rituals, and have points of celebration that are meant to shape the lives of the disciples. As you read through the Gospels, what you read is that Jesus had very specific places that it was his habit to go out and pray there. So if you were a part of his discipleship community, if you were following him, your life, your prayer life would be influenced and shaped by the rhythm of the community of going to this place at this time to pray consistently. They had rhythms of rest. They had ways in which they rest, values related to rest. And you as a disciple would be shaped and transformed as a person by the rhythms and the rituals of rest that happened in the discipleship community. They celebrated different holidays. They had specific ways in which they gave and ate and prayed and customs that were peculiar to their community that were meant to shape the disciples. I want you to read a quote as we think about this in our own life from author James K.A. Smith on this topic. He said, the practices of prayer and song, preaching and offering, baptism and communion are the canoes and the boats and the helicopters that God graciously sends our way. He meets us where we are as creatures of habit who are shaped by practices, and he invites us into a community of practice that is the very body of his son. Liturgy is the way we learn to put on Christ. It's powerful to think about that image of helicopters and boats and canoes coming to you and me, invitations by God into discipleship. And those boats, he's saying, are the life of a discipleship community like a church. The communion, the prayers, the songs, the rhythms, the points of celebration. We heard from uh, Jesse Roberts around one of those rhythms, the rhythm of giving, that we as a discipleship community, we as an ecclesia, we as a church, uh, engage with. And if you listen to him, you hear what he said. He said, when I began to engage in this practice, what it did was it formed me 
as a person. It helped me grow as a steward, that even his, the way he paid his bills, the way he lived his life was shaped by engaging with this spiritual practice. So we see that in the community, the practices, the rhythms, the rituals, the celebration points are transformational for the disciples. But there's another aspect of this that I want to share with you as well, and that's the relationships and the way that they transform us. We started this sermon talking about Vanier and the way that living in community had revealed kind of the darkness of his own heart and been an agent of transformation. And I want you to see this in the word of God. If you look in verse 16, we see a list of the specific disciples. And some of these names are familiar. Some of these names probably are not. Uh, but they're really interesting to think about on this topic. So Jesus, verse 16, Jesus appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So these are a list of some of the disciples. You see that this list grows as the story progresses, but let's hone in on a few of these. You might be familiar with Peter. What do we know about him? He was a fisherman, the blue collar trade. He was outspoken. You know, he kind of talks a lot in the gospels. I mean, he's always kind of got his mouth open, an outspoken guy. You might know someone like that, or you might be a person like that. That's Peter. Now, alongside Peter, we have James and John who affectionately get the nickname Sons of Thunder. Where in the world do they get that nickname for? Do they have a passion for weather? No. Uh, what we see is that they were brothers that were marked by temper. They had anger issues. Uh, at one point, people reject Jesus, and their solution is, hey, Jesus, you've got power. Why don't we call down fire and blast these people? That'll settle this once and for all, right? You might be a person like that or know someone like that with a fiery temper. So now just imagine, if you will, you've got Peter, kind of outspoken personality. You've got James and John quick-tempered, right? We kind of see that we might be putting a whole lot of firecrackers together right here in this original group of disciples. Well, let's pull in some more people. Look down there, and you might be familiar with the name Matthew, right? His profession, he was a tax collector. Now, in our day, you're, you're an accountant. You work for the IRS. It's kind of an honorable position. In their day, it was the equivalent of a drug dealer. They hated tax collectors because tax collectors represented the Romans who were oppressing the Jews. That's who tax collectors work for. Matthew in particular was a thief. He was a swindler. He would rob from his people so much so that they called tax collectors the enemies of God. That was kind of what they were known as in the community. So isn't it amazing that Jesus comes and he's calling people in the, the, the men and women through whom he's going to transform the world. And he invites in the enemy of God. He says, hey, why don't you come into my discipleship community? Powerful. So Matthew is there, but alongside Matthew, notice this name, Simon the Zealot. Now, he didn't get this nickname because he was just particularly kind of a zealous guy, but that's actually a political party in their day. They were known as anarchists. They were anarchists against the Roman government. They hated 
the Romans. So much so that they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. So you have Matthew, the pro-Roman political kind of enemy of his people. And you have Simon, who hates the Romans. And Simon's invited in. Now, alongside Simon, note Judas Iscariot. And he's famous for selling Jesus out in the end. But that last name of his, Iscariot, is also rooted in another political party. Uh, scholars believe the Sicarii warriors. Now, they were like the zealots. They hated the Romans. But rather than just being for anarchy, they were for the violent overthrow of Rome. So they would carry around knives ready to assassinate anyone on the spot who was associated with Rome. So just imagine, if you will, lunch in this discipleship community where you have Peter outspoken. You have the angry brothers, John and James, right? You have Matthew, the enemy of God, who's pro-Roman politically, known for stealing. And you have alongside him Simon, the zealot, who hates pro-Roman people. And they're sitting next to each other, mix in an assassin with knives, Judas, right there in the mix. Wow. You want to talk about a spicy community, right? I mean, this is like, Jesus didn't go for picking the easy fruit, right? This is challenging. And that's such a great picture of the church while we're at it. That the church historically has not been defined by one particular type of person. It hasn't been defined by the rich. It hasn't been defined by the poor. It hasn't been defined by a particular ethnicity. It hasn't been defined by a particular political viewpoint, an education level, uh, an occupation level. But it's rich, young, uh, politically right, politically left, uh, young, old, fill in the blank. Diverse stripes and flavors, even the enemies of God, invited into this discipleship community. Now, picture with me, if you will, this group of kind of odd characters, bad news bears, if you will, and they go on ministry trips together. You read Jesus sends people out two by two on these ministry trips. So just imagine, speculate with me, if you will, uh, how those teams might have been picked, right? Uh, my guess is Matthew, pro-Roman sellout, and Simon, anti-Roman, you know, political enemy, are sent out together on one of these ministry trips, right? Hey guys, you disagree about everything except me, so I'm gonna send you out and I'm gonna call you to love one another. Think about it. Uh, think about when Peter is asking about how many times must he forgive his brother? Seven times enough? And he's like, no, 70 times seven. What do you want to bet that Peter had in mind people in his discipleship community when he was thinking about that? Think back to Vanier. It was when he got in discipleship community that the real issues of his life were revealed. When Jesus is teaching on mercy, where do you think the object lesson is? When Jesus is teaching on serving, where do you think, hey, 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 John, uh, you're, you're angry all the time. I've called you to be merciful and patient. So I'm going to pair you up with Peter, the guy that gets under your skin so much because he can't stop talking. And you're called to serve him. We actually see at the end of John's life, his predominant message is love one another. How does the man who is known as the son of thunder become the man whose main thesis and word to the church is to love one another? It's through transformation in relationship. 
in discipleship community. It's powerful and it's transforming. So how do we cultivate this value that we're better together in our day? How do we look at this with fresh lenses that we might be transformed as disciples, that we might live as authentic disciples. I'm going to give you three ways that we're seeking to live this out. Three invitations to you. Like the previous weeks, this is not a to-do list to add to kind of what you feel like you need to do, but it's an invitation in. And I'm asking you to be in prayer with the Holy Spirit. How would God call you to take a step in this season towards greater discipleship. Number one is a posture check. Most of us live most of our lives as consumers. We're taught, you know, you go someplace because of what you can get out of it, right? But here we see that there's a posture change for us to really engage in this. We need to lean instead of back, what's in it for me? And we need to lean forward into the community into the rhythms, into the rituals, into the relationships, even when it doesn't fit our schedule, even when it's not easy or convenient, even when, man, I'm, I am, you know, I'm a Democrat and this guy in my life group is a Republican. I just can't stand that guy. I just want to go somewhere else, right? We're called rather than leaning back to lean in and be transformed in the process and vice versa, the Republicans that can't stand the Democrats, so on and so forth to be better Together, it's a posture change. Number two, we're offering formal learning opportunities. Where in life do you learn how to have healthy relationships? Uh, It's one of the defining characteristics of our lives. But if you didn't get lessons in your family, right? And in your family, maybe you got some, but probably not holistic. Where do you learn how to have healthy relationships, the skills that are needed? So with these growth classes that we're doing, one of the things that we're committed to is using those as training points and teaching points. So if you say, Zach, I I, want to do this. I want to be transformed in a community. I just don't know how to have, if I'm really honest, how do I have healthy relationships? I've got a lot of toxic relationships. How do I have healthy ones, right? These are going to be opportunities for you to learn skills. We'll offer some more in the spring for you to engage in that you could learn skills to be in healthy relationships. Last thing is we engage. Right? This is not just headspace or listening, but we're transformed as we engage in the practices of our community. So if you're saying, man, this is where the Holy Spirit's working on me, join a serve team. Serve with our kids, not because it's just like, man, I just love kids, but because you realize that there is power in learning how to serve and in learning how to serve within the discipleship community. It's going to equip you to serve in your home. It's going to equip you to serve in your in your workplace. It's going to equip you to serve uh, the world at large. Right. That's what we're trying to do. As we close, I'm going to uh, read you one last quote that's really uh, significant. This is by a gentleman named Morgan Cerf. He's a neuroscientist at Northwestern University. Spent much of his life studying the way that we think. And here's what he says. The more we study engagement, we see time and again that just being next to certain people actually aligns your brain with them. This means the people you hang out with actually have an impact on your engagement with reality beyond what you can explain. And one of the effects is you become alike. 
Please hear me. Our goal in becoming alike is not that I would become like you or that you would become like me, but that together that we would become like Jesus. That he would transform us together, that we might be better together. So with that, I want to invite us all to go to God. We're going to do that by receiving communion together. One of the images of communion is that of a table, the Lord's table, the Lord's meal, inviting us from all of our different backgrounds by grace into the family of God and being transformed, formed as disciples in his family for the flourishing of the world. The way we're going to do that is we'll have people in the four corners of the room. We'll have efficients that will have the bread and the cup. I'm going to invite you to stand. And when you're ready, you can go and receive communion. So you can go ahead and stand. Uh, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're just like, I don't know what I, where, where I'm at with all this, please don't feel any pressure to take communion. Uh, but if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is a powerful practice and a way that we can go to God. I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, how is he speaking to you through these words and these scriptures as I pray? Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you bring us from all different backgrounds by grace to your family, Lord. You bring us into relationship with you and relationship with one another, and there you transform us, not just for our own good, but for the flourishing of the world. And I pray, Father, that you would be admit, uh, you would be at work in our midst, forming us through community, that we might really walk out this value of being better together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst. And we would love for you to be a part uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.